Hey everybody, this is David Chuddick, and on this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, we are having a replay of the Wellness Wednesday webinar that I hosted this week, where John Cullum, who is a charitable consultant for the American Heart Association, is going to talk about some of the psychological benefits to giving, and also some effective ways to give money and your time and resources. So also make sure to check out the YouTube link in the show notes, as it will show you some of the slides that he referenced in this podcast. Hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. All right, well, let's get started. Well, welcome everybody to uh, week number three of our Wellness Wednesday webinar series. As you may recall, uh, week number one, we had Steve Pumphrey uh, speak about some healthy eating, some weight loss tips and things like that. Um, week number two, we talked about relationships and and how we can um, how we can have positive relationships and communicate a little bit better. And then week number three, we are talking about some of the reasons why we might want to give um, both uh, to charities and, and and just to individuals, and also some of the methods that we could use to do that. So I'm really excited to have John Cullum, um, who, who works with the American Heart Association, talk about some of these tactics. And you might be asking, like, why is a financial advisor hosting a webinar series that talks about weight loss, that talks about relationships, and and even being generous? And the reason is that I like to help my clients and myself to make the world a better place. So if you if you have some health issues that are maybe habit related, yeah, we should all fix those. And, and it's sometimes it's difficult to bake, bake, break bad habits. Um, if we have some relationship issues, you know, why not get some help? Why not be purposeful about have, having great relationships? And then, you know, I feel like we should all be generous to the extent that, uh, you know, fits in with our value system. So that's what this week's uh, webinar is about. So, uh, John Cullum, I appreciate um, appreciate your being here with us today. T- tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do for the American Heart Association, and then let's uh, jump right in here and let's uh, learn a lot of good stuff. Well, thanks, David, for the opportunity to, to be on today. Um I am a senior advisor with American Heart. I work with donors throughout the Southeast as they're working with their advisors, making a philanthropic and state plan. And so many times I get involved with the donor uh, directly and then with the advisor. Other times I'm working with the um, advisor directly, but I help people match what their um, interest is with the programs that we have in American Heart. Many times it's a gift during the lifetime, and many times it's a it's a gift at death. Um, you know, it kind of comes back to the age-old question: How much money is enough? And some people believe that they have plenty to give away during their lifetime, and others are not comfortable to do that. They want to make the gift of death. Uh, my background: I'm a certified financial planner. I worked in banking, uh, trust department for a very long time. So I've done a lot of work with uh, individuals over the time, over, over my career, not only with coming to terms in a family about how much to give and who to give to, but also how do you give um, in, to a public charity and how do you make the world um, a better place? So as you can see, my, tat- my title is uh, Beyond the Tax Benefit, Why Do People Make Gifts? And so we're going to talk about why you make gifts, why some people don't make gifts, some of the tax benefits and some things that are more emotionally of a, 
of a benefit. Um, again, I'm Colin, that's my contact information. And so why do people give? It's really a very interesting proposition and we're gonna look at science in a few minutes to talk about what, what your brain does when you give money and why it's something that feels good to you. But people give charitably because they believe into the mission of the organization. And there is the tax benefit that comes along with that. But at the end of the day, you're still giving away assets. And so why do people do that? Maybe you've been touched by the mission of the organization. At American Heart, I hear that all the time, that people have either had a, a heart attack or a stroke or they've had a parent or a loved one. Um, and I'm one of those. I have a pacemaker it's right there. And I come from a genetic deficient family uh, when it comes to heart disease. So, you know, I live this everyday person. Sometimes people are just good. They just want to be kind. They just want to share what they have. It, and maybe it's nothing other than that. Um, paying back for that service of benefit that they've had at a hospital or at a library or in a garden. I also see that a lot of people give because they grow up giving. There's a family history with that. And I'll tell you a very personal story with me. Um, the first act of charity I really do remember was before I started school. And my mother uh, collected some canned goods in the small South Carolina town that I grew up in for a Halloween carnival at school. And she went to various stores and asked for gifts. I went with her. And I saw the magic that occurred when the people smiled and said, of course, I'd love to participate. And then the look on my mother's face that she was successful. And then at the Halloween carnival, uh, my father was a pharmacist. And many nights as he left the drugstore, because you know when I was young, drugstores mostly were independent and they stayed open to 7 or 7.30 at night. There were many people that didn't have cars back then. Many, many of them were elderly women who lived alone. And my father would always have some medicine that on the way home from the drugstore, we had to stop in someone's house and I would get out and go run back on the door with their medicine, with their bag of medicine. So I grew up with that family of his, that, that family history of giving. But then there are people, oops, sorry, one slide too many. And then there are others that don't give. And it's really interesting that they don't. Many people say they just don't have the resources to give. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it goes back to that age old question, how much is enough? Some people just are not charitable. They kind of live in a shell, maybe. They don't see the value in it. Um, others grow up where it's not a family tradition, or they don't have any family, and they are more of a loner. So they don't get involved in what's going on around them. Do you so find look, that lower income people or higher income people or middle income people kind of give a bigger percentage of, of their of their money away? I know that, you know, in, in, in the Bible, there's the story of the lady that gave, you know, basically her last coin. Um, and then I know that, you know, multi-billionaires might give $50 million away, but that's, you know, maybe a small percentage of their income. Like, is there a certain demographic that tends to be more generous as a percentage of, of their net worth or income? My experience um, is that it's more middle income, that mm -hmm. they have more of a need and they benefit from a charity in some way that maybe somebody who's extremely wealthy does not. Um, but you're right. You have a Bill Gates who's giving away all of his assets. But then mm -hmm. you have many people that have very ample um, 
wealth that don't give anywhere close to what their capacity could be. And we're actually going to talk about generational giving in a, in a, in a little bit. But there's the science behind this, and this is really interesting. The National Academy of Sciences did a study on your on, on brains, and they did some imaging. And as they saw people give away or saw the conversation, um, dopamine came showed up in the brain. And that gives them a real natural high. And I always say, too, when I see donors give away money, you see them at their very best. They're not going to argue about a rate on something or that they're getting good value. They really are doing it because they want to do it. There's uh, also another part of the brain that plays a key role in formulating social attachment. So we all, most of us, are very much of a pack um, animal, similar to a dog. We like being around people. We like to be around people that are like us. And so if you're giving away in a way that other people give, that makes you a, a piece of that. Dr. Russell James is one of the premier uh, researchers and teachers of hand giving. And he uses a phrase I love. It says, people like me make gifts like this. So whether you're in a church and you see people giving away or you see other families that are in similar situation that you are and they're giving to their children or others in the community, it provides you some some sort of a role model on how you should act or could act if, if you chose to. But it really gives you that um, baseline, if you will. And I, I see that all the time with people that, that I work with and people that I've had in my banking book of business in the past. Um, we're going to look a little bit more into this. Harvard had a really interesting paper that's called um, Effective Altruism. And it's when people use, they use reason and evidence of the impact that the person, the organization is, is making in the community. And then they use that to make an informed evidence-based decision. So I give you an example. If you were going to give a charitable gift to an organization and, and you were very interested in um, the local pound or SPCA or whatever the, uh, the animal rights organization, and you saw that that organization really was not doing right by, from your standard, what they should be doing. So you probably wouldn't give to them, but maybe the town over, or maybe there's a county organization or a private organization that you would go to, be, you would give to because they have a similar value system that you do. And you get that information by simply seeking it out. The same thing might be with a family member that you would make a gift to, but you see that they don't live the type of life that you expect. Not that you're judging. I'm not saying it's a judgmental um, evaluation you're doing. You're just looking at the way that money would be spent if you gave it to them. And that's not in your value system. So you might not give to that family member or friend, but you may give it to another. And again, it all comes back to how they're using that money and, and how you vision how it will affect their lives. Psychology. Do you today, find that this science applies kind of equally to, let's say, if I write a check to an organization or if I provide my time, maybe I'm delivering meals for Meals on Wheels or, yes. or, or anything else that I'm doing, you know, personally to serve? Is it kind of equal or do you, or is giving money 
more important or less important than actually volunteering? Um, we're going to talk about that again when we look at uh, the uh, the generations, but you're exactly right. It's time, talent, and resources. Okay. So I think all of those things are part of it. Uh, if you look at a charity, American Heart, we have plenty, plenty of people that donate their time and a talent. They may, they they might not have the resources to give, but then that time and talent is very valuable. If you look at the local hospital and community, they need volunteers that are going to do things. They don't necessarily need the money, but the time and talent is what they need more than, than anything else. Or if you're involved in some sort of a religious organization, that time and talent is really important, but the resources are as well. And you'll have some organizations that time and talent really isn't something they need. They just need the resources. Okay, but I do perfect. think all of that plays together in making somebody feel a part of the organization. Because, again, I go back to this, the um, we're we're packed people just like uh, dogs are and we like to be around other people mm -hmm. psychology today makes it really simple it it feels good to give mm -hmm. it's just as simple as that can be and i think we've all experienced that in some way as well it feels good to receive so if somebody's doing something for you it makes them feel good that you care for them so it's all very interrelated People that don't give to charity. So when I was preparing for this, I found a lot of information about charitable giving and very little about individual giving uh, to individuals. And so I'm, I'm just using more common sense than what I've experienced. But I found this is a great um, re uh, report. They had 7,106 people worldwide uh, participate in this global trends and giving report in 2018. Now, 1,049 responded that they had not given the, the charity within the last 12 months. And so when you think about that, you had more people than not, about 6,000, that gave to charity, and 1,000 said that they had not. But when you think about the answers about why they did not make those charitable gifts, 43% said they didn't have the resources to give. Now, this survey only did about um, resources and not time and talent. And again, I go back to this age-old questions, how much is enough? 20% uh, volunteer and Lou were making um, financial donations. 17% gave goods and services in Lou were making a donation or gift. 12% don't trust the organization or a person to spend their money well. 6% uh, prefer to spend their family of the money on family and friends and 2% don't believe that organizations like that make a difference. So when you, when you really look at this, what we, a lot of this really could apply to if we were giving money to a family member or to a neighbor that you might not think that they would do well with the money. You might think that it would be better to provide if it was the family that needed groceries is, is to go to the grocery store for them once a week. Or if it was an elderly neighbor that just needed help in the yard, she just didn't necessarily need more than that. But again, I go back to what Russell James said, people like me make gifts like this. And so if you look in the neighborhood that you live in and your neighbors, what could you do to help your neighbors? I remember four or five years ago when I lived in Charlotte, we had a snow and it was not a big snow, but it was enough that we probably had four or five inches on, on the ground. And right before that fall, I bought 
a for the first time in my life because again growing up in south carolina you don't need uh, snow shovels very much but i saw one and it was not very expensive i thought well this would be nice to have one just in case i needed it well we had this snow so i actually w- was out um, working on my wall and i noticed there was a neighbor of mine that i really didn't know very well she was somewhat of a loner uh was trying to get out to get a newspaper and she was really struggling so I went down, got the newspaper, gave it to her, and we said hello. And I went back later, and I took my snow shovel, and I cleared her wall. Well, that was something that didn't cost me any money to do. It cost a little bit of time and probably something that I was not going to use the time wisely anyway if I had kept it to myself. But it made me feel so good. And then it made me go, oh, what other neighbor can I do this for? So again... People like me make gifts like that. That was the gift I could give to this woman that made a difference. Bank of America does a study of philanthropy with the Lilly School of um, in Indiana. And it's always really interesting. And these are somewhat affluent people, but I think um, it applies to most people. And this is a slide on reasons why affluent people do not give to charity. And again, the first one is I make my family my priority. And then they don't have connections to organizations. And the third is I don't want to give money to charity. So I think if we apply that to our family and friends, these things still apply pretty pretty evenly. And we're going to see a couple more slides on them in a few minutes. I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about cohort giving. Um, and I think this is so interesting, and I love using this because I think you can apply your, this to yourself to see where you are in your uh, age. And we're going to talk about the first five, the bottom generation alpha. Obviously, they're, the, the oldest one would be 14, and we don't have any information on. But we'll start the matures, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and uh, Generation Z. And I think you'll see each of one of these is really interesting. Then the matures are also called traditions. Uh, they were born uh, before 1945. Think of, uh, for me, it would be my parents, but for many people, it would be their grandparents. And they trust the government. They have lived through World War II. Many of them lived through the, the Depression. So they experienced things in life that I had not expect uh, experienced and things, David, that you had not experienced. But most of these... Uh, give a great deal of money and time. 24% volunteer, 11% donate to human rights causes, and then 60% and 41% either donate or uh, volunteer at some sort of a religious um, organization. And it could be something more than teaching Sunday school or greeting people, or maybe it's working in a soup kitchen. They support emergency relief, troops and veterans, the arts, and they um, for advocacy and campaigns. So as we go through these, you're going to see how these change. When we get to the boomers, which I'm a boomer. I was born in 1958. So from 1946 to 1964, what we experienced growing up was something very different. The older ones experienced uh, Korea, Korea War, um, the conflict. Um, I experienced seeing John Kennedy assassinated on live TV when I was five years old. Martin Luther King was assassinated. We had Vietnam. So these, um, this group accounts for 43% of total giving, but their volunteer rate is lower. 
and their participation in religious organizations is lower as well. Human rights are really important. The top supporters of first responder organizations. So again, I think the experience that they've had in life has really changed how they give and what they give. Generation X is interesting because this is the first generation of latchkey children. So it would be my generation who married, had children, divorced, and then they either lived with mom and dad and probably came home from school by themselves, or mom had to go to work because my mother didn't work and they had to come home by themselves. So they learned how to be more independent than maybe my generation did. But again, volunteers is lower, giving is lower, the religious and spiritual causes is a lower cause, but they look at the animal rights and welfare and the environment in a very different way than other generations have. When we go to millennials, those are, um, born from 1977 to 19, 1995, and this is both of my children. I have two boys, and their total giving's less. They probably make less. Volunteer rates lower. Human rights causes is really high. Again, lower uh, spiritual and religious causes, but they, 84% have given to a nonprofit in some way. But when you look at this too, we see human rights as an issue child development and victims of crime and abuse. It all comes back to what they've seen and what they've grown up with. When we go to uh, Generation Z, again, we see very similar to this, but their way of giving is very different. They're more worried about the planet and environmental issues. They want to go to Uganda and pay to have a will, uh, a well dug. It's a very different uh, group of, of um, of donors. So if we look at this, we go back to the Bank of America study. Religion is the top amount of dollars. And then basic needs comes next, higher ed is next, uh, next K through 12 is next. But when we look at the amount of money basic needs gets, I'm sorry, when we look at the number of households that actually uh, donate to organizations, we have more in basic needs by a lot. Religion still next, health, youth, family, animals. So we see how that, that changes a bit. So we can take a little bit of, of a different turn because I want to talk about how you can technically make this gift so it would be tax efficient. And this is to a charitable organization David certainly can help you make the decision which of these that you should use, but you could create a charitable trust and you could create some income for yourself and have a tax deduction. Appreciated assets, and we're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. Donor advised fund, a family foundation, a charitable gift annuity, a bequest, blended gift, a current gift. But the real new thing that we see people really have their arms around is once you turn 70 and a half, you can make a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA instead of taking that money in your required minimum distribution that would be taxable. You can make it directly to a charity. Don't get a tax deduction for it, but you also do not pay income taxes on it. So we see that as really one of the uh, most um, 
prevalent um, giving techniques, especially in the middle income group. You can give up to $100,000 a year out of a charity. I remember when IRAs first came out, nobody dreamt that people would end up in their later years and have $3 million in an IRA. Never, never in a million years. But now we see that. So uh, just think about that. And again, David can certainly give you more information about it, but it's it certainly is something that we see a lot more. So let, let's unpack that QCD just a little bit. So let's say, um, I don't know, I'm 74 years old. And let's say I have a million dollars in an IRA. But let's also say that I have Social Security coming in. And maybe I own some rental properties that's given me some income. And I may have a pension. And I may have uh, some other sources of income. The IRS each year is going to require that I take money out of my IRA because they've given me tax deductions for years and years and years and years. So instead of taking that money out of my IRA and getting taxed on it, if I don't need it to live off of, I can just basically have that money go directly to a charity and then it doesn't count as income, right? I mean, is that kind of the the general idea of, of what we're it talking is. about? It is. And there's two... Um two things you've got to make sure that you don't do. One is have the money come directly to you in your checking account, and then you send it to the charity because that will not qualify. And the second thing is you have to do that before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And And actually you need to kind of get started, you know, maybe around December 15th, just to give the transactions time to take place and everything, because these things don't happen overnight. But let's say just really hypothetically and generally speaking, Let's say my RMD, my required minimum distribution, would have been $50,000. And instead of taking the $50,000 of income, um, I work with my financial advisor, and I have that sent directly to the American Heart Association. Like, What's the range of money that that could have saved me on my taxes? I know that's kind of a really broad question, but let's say I'm in a higher income um, tax bracket. How much money could that have saved me on my taxes? Well, if you're in a... um... Let's make the math easy. Let's state and federal, let's say you're in a 40% tax bracket, and $50,000 is $20,000 worth of taxes, you would say. So if you took it, took the a minimum required distribution and had it come directly to your checking account, pay taxes on it, but you still wanted to give money to charity, you would have only 30000 you could give to charity. So it's a much easier way to do it. I will also caution people too, is that it has to be a qualified charity that this goes to. That's a that's you know, you, you have to make sure it's a it's a charity. Meaning a 501c3. Yes. Okay. So if you have again the SBCA in your town and they are not organized into a 501c3 and you want to do this, this is not going to be um um a it's not a qualified charity. What I would suggest that you do is that your minimum required distribution is calculated on the December 31st balance in your IRA. So now we are on January 17th. So you could already go ahead and calculate what your RMD is going to be. Go ahead and give it away. The charities need it. You're not going to take it. So go ahead and give it away. So that would be my suggestion. So you don't wait until the end of the year and then there's a crunch. With everybody. And the earlier in the year that the charity gets the money, the more good they can do with it as well, because it helps for their planning and, and their cash Absolutely. flow. Mm-hmm. 
So when you're thinking about assets, you may uh, want to uh, donate, and and this can be donate or give. Um, think about what you normally give away. People normally give away cash instead of giving away any of these other assets. And cash generally for people is three to five percent of what their assets are. So you could be more generous by giving away stock, for example, to a charity. They don't pay taxes, so they get sell the stock that it they the day that it comes in. And then they get the entire amount of money and you get the tax deduction for the value of the stock when you give it. So just think about this. Just don't limit yourself to giving cash. I told you we were going to talk about appreciated assets. If you bought stock for $1,000 20 years ago and now it's worth $50,000, your capital gain is $49,000. If you sell the stock, you're going to owe 20% and then some state tax on that $49,000. If you give it to a charity, the charity sells it, you then get a tax deduction for $50,000 and the charity gets $50,000. IRS does not get any money from that. So it's just something to think about. The, um, the charity has to be able to accept stock or real estate or these, these other non-cash assets. But for most people, it's the right gift to give. So let's say that we're giving to family and friends. You have $18,000 that you can give away to anybody you want to give. And I'll give you the name of my two children if you'd like to include them in your gifting. Because you I was thinking if anybody them. didn't know how to spell my last name, I would clarify it for them so they could make the checkout properly. I'm with you. But you can give $18,000. The person you give it to does not count it as income. You do not count it as a deduction but you can give $18,000 away and not doing a thing in the world. If you want to give more than 18,000, you have a lifetime exemption in this year of 13, a little bit over $13 million. So if you had $50 million, you could give away 13,000. Spouse could give away 13,000 as well. There's nothing that says you can't do it. And there's some tax returns that David would help you prepare, but you could always do that. In addition to the 18,000, you can give away personal property. Let's say you've got a beautiful painting that you'd like to give to one of your children or a niece or a nephew, or somebody that's just admired it. I've got a beautiful Chinese vase that I had an, a lady friend give me many years ago, and it's one of my prized possessions. It's not worth a lot of money, but she gave that to me because she wanted to give. You can also pay medical bills, education, ed educational expenses. You have to pay those directly to the provider. So if you've got grandchildren that go to some sort of a private school, you can pay their tuition, pay it directly to the private school. If you have a neighbor that's had a lot of medical expenses and you want to help out, you could give them the money, but you could also pay it directly to, to the, the medical um, uh, provider. You can give cash, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, anything that you own, and it doesn't cost you anything. There's there's no um, tax ramification for you, but the person you're giving it to could have a tax liability if they sell that. Now, that's a good problem to have because if you gave me a $100,000 lot somewhere to build a house on, I'd sell it, and you pay $20,000, when you give that property away, you also give away your cost base in that property. I would owe capital gains, but I would still have $80,000 that I didn't have before. 
sure. it's just something to think about as you're giving away. You don't get the tax benefit. The person you're giving it to could have a taxable event if they sell the property. Last thing is how do you how do you make philanthropy a family affair? All the research shows that proper modeling of family philanthropy can help your children understand wealth is not an identity. You're not wealthy. You're a person who has wealth, but you're not the wealthy. And I think that really affects the, the children as they grow. They don't realize they can just go have anything they want to have because, you know, once they're not living at home, that's not necessarily the case. It also offers your children a tangible project that they can work in with you so you can provide some maybe some family history about sharing or maybe it's just teaching them to be philanthropic. Working together, sharing the values around wealth, community, and building a better world, I just think is as important as it could be. When my children were young, we frequently, they went with us as we did volunteer work or um, worked at church doing something, or I'm, I'm a big history buff, so we did a lot of things with history. Um, it also helps you make financial decisions as a team. Let's say that you're going to give away $1,000 a year to charity. You give your children the ability to decide where $100 of that might go. It teaches them they have to do some research. They have to prove to you why that person's, that, that uh, decision is the right decision. But it also helps them understand the, uh, some uh, financial management skills that otherwise they, they might not learn. You have to, um, if you have an allowance for your child, maybe they have to give a portion of their allowance to a charity. Maybe that's part of what you do. But it's at the end of the day, though, it's really developing important life and business skills. And I think that's what's really key. So we've talked about a lot. You might have some questions, have my contact information. But I will always tell you, this is my dog, Boone. He's the North Carolina, his breed is the North Carolina State dog. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog. If it doesn't make tax sense to do it, it's okay. If you want to make the charitable gift, it's fine. David can help you make it as tax efficient as you can and probably will advise you when you are trying to give away more than maybe what you should. But at the same point, if you've got a real desire to do something and a real heart uh, experience that you want to um, satisfy, how to make it, how to make it happen. Again, contact information. Um, feel free. I, I serve the Southeast, so you know anybody who wants more information about American Heart, if I can provide some information on our charitable solutions, I'm delighted to. And David, thank you for the opportunity today. Absolutely. And for those who are listening on on a on a recorded version of the podcast later on, I'm going to read uh, John's email. So it's john.cullum, that's C-U-L-L-U-M, at heart.org. And his phone number is 864-517-2154. American Heart Association, like many, many, many nonprofit organizations, is funded heavily by donations, and they're doing great work. So um, if you're interested in working directly with the American Heart Association, absolutely, uh, John Cullum can help you to figure out the best methods of giving and um, point you in that right direction. And I like your last slide about don't let the um, the taxes uh, wag the dog. Um, or the tax tail wag the dog. Um, there are tax benefits for giving, but we have to remember that really 
you know, our, our marginal tax rate, which could be 10, 15, 20, 30% is kind of what we're going to save on, on a donation. So if I'm in a 30% tax, um, uh, tax bracket, and if I give a hundred dollars away, I'm going to save $30, basically not going to save a hundred dollars, but, but, um, I'm still going to have the satisfaction of knowing that that hundred dollars went to a cause that I believe in, and it's helping people, helping things and helping a cause that, that I think is important. So I think that's what's, um, really, really important to remember. So, you know, some closing thoughts, John, I mean, what, what are, um, you know, if someone is thinking, wow, you know, I mean, I'm just not that generous. And and I know that I should be. And I know that, you know, even though I don't have unlimited money, I have more money than I need. You know, we're in America. Nobody's really starving to death. Um, how do we answer or what are some questions maybe we can ask ourselves about that? How much is enough type s- scenario? Because, I mean, I struggle with, with that too, right? I mean, I have a good life. I don't really need anything, but um you know, how much should I give away? How much um, is it okay for me to have nice stuff, even though there still are some homeless people out there? I mean, those are some things that I think about. Um, I would tell you the first thing you should do is make a list of the nonprofits that are in your community that you think do a good job and things that you would have an interest in. I would probably suggest uh, to go volunteer there and actually see what they do so that you really can build a relationship with the organization. And from there, I think your heart will guide you as much as anything about what you should give and what you could give. There's also something called charitynavigator.org. So if you want to see if a charity is using your money wisely or their donations, you can always go check that out, charitynavigator.org. Not all charities there, most more smaller ones are not, but the larger ones are. And the, the rule of thumb is you should spend less than 20% or less on administrative and fundraising expenses and 80% or more should go toward the mission. And so that's just something to keep in mind. You know, if you had a small organization that paid an executive director half of the budget of the organization, that might be okay, but it might not be okay. So just get involved and understand. I think if you look at how much you actually spend on soft drinks or alcohol or cigarettes or something else that you sweets if you're a sweet sweets person something that you could do without how much is that money and maybe that's the amount that you start by giving maybe it's fifty dollars a week fifty dollars a month could be fifty dollars a year just you know starting and see how it makes you feel and if it Mm -hmm. it really does make you feel good i'd say you go from there I like it. I, I think 